Hey everybody, welcome to the Maestro Movie Podcast, episode 6! Hello! Return of the Jedi! Never mind, it's not Return of the Jedi. <laughs> I've got Alex yeah. here with me. Hello everyone. Alright, so... Yeah. So, yeah, last week happened. <laughs> just a minor difficulty. Just a, just a little minor. technical problem. <laughs> just a little one. Just a little one. But, uh... Yeah, we. Then, uh Cut a solid hour of what we were talking about. No big deal. <laughs> I actually, ch- I actually checked. It was actually an hour and a half. Yet it's still. I don't know what happened. I don't even no, know what happened. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we wouldn't shut up. That's what happened. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So today, um, what was I gonna do? All right. So today, for sure, we're doing. We're gonna run through episode number four of the Star Wars saga. A New Hope. And then, I think in a second video we decided we're going to do episode 5, The Empire Strikes Back. Well, well yeah, we'll, do, we'll, we'll talk about two movies today, but it'll be two episodes. Yes. And some other stuff too. Yes, I'm going to split I'm gonna split this episode. Maybe 6 and then 6.5. But uh, actually, there's some business we need to take care of first. So, Go right, ahead. So... At the recommendation of Alex here, I have uh, and the um, and his uh, his his uh, his copy, as it turned out, I watched Brick, written and directed by uh, Ryan Johnson. Now, yeah, first first movie ever made. <laughs> first movie he made. Yeah, this is his debut feature. Oh, that's right. He did Breaking Bad before that, didn't he? No, no, he did Breaking Bad later. This is like his first real movie. Wow. Okay. When did this come out? God, like oh four, oh five, something like that. I was gonna guess oh six, but okay, I was close. You could be right, because uh, Jordan Levitt had already been done with like Third Rock from the Sun. He had already done a few more serious movies by then, but he's still pretty young in that movie. Hmm. So yeah, I watched it. Now, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say... Okay, right now, I think I need a second viewing of it, because I can't most really... People, most people would. It's, it's really confusing. Yeah, the I was... Dialogue, there's so much dialogue, you miss stuff. Right. I was following along... Like, very, I was following along, following along fairly well, but I had my headphones in, listening to it. Smart. And, then my, and then my friend ever so rudely interrupted me and wanted to play a game with me. I'm like, oh, fine. I'll just get this over with. So we spent like two hours and then I, so then, but I had to unplug my headset, put it into another place. And then I didn't really change it. So now I had to listen to the TV speakers and then I was just thrown for a loop. <laughs> so I had to, oh, w- yeah, the, the good way to do, to do it is with the headphones. Yeah. Cause the, this, this, the dialogue, there's a lot of it. It's very specific. A lot of information in there, and also because it's a low-budget movie, the sound design isn't always great. But yeah, I did, I did indeed like it. I'm not gonna say right now for sure that it's one of my favorites, but I really, really liked it. I like well, the. I, I love the detective genre. I love that style of dialogue. I love, I just love that genre. So it really speaks to me on that level, but. On top of just having a lot of dialogue, I like Aaron Sorkin and, and a lot of dialogue-heavy stuff. But what really catches me about that movie is how visual it is. 
how just how many scenes are driven by the visuals that you see, either oh, yeah. as an action scene or just information that's given to you down the line. That when you watch that movie a second time, you start to notice things like when he goes to the party before he even leaves the house in the first place. You see someone strike a match on the side of the house, and it's the pin who's been watching this party the entire time. And you don't really notice that the first time around. It takes a few uh, viewings for you to be like, is, there, is someone striking a match who would strike a match? Oh, the pin, because the pin smokes pipes and carries a cane. And that's the sort of stuff you notice down the line with more viewings. And I, I really love it for stuff like that. Now, the thing is, the thing about this movie that like really had me like liking it was how it was like a detective story. But in the context of a high school, that's the stuff I like. The stuff that's weird and random and it doesn't make any sense at face value. That's the stuff I like. It's a detective story about murder and drugs in a high school. And it's great. Because why not? Well, I don't, I, to me, that makes to me, that's just uh, that's just a subverting the genre a little bit. Sort of like if you put if you put comedy in a horror movie, this is sort of like. That, but I, he made it pretty clear when he made it. He was like, imagine if the Maltese Falcon, if, if that world just grew into our world and people still talked like that and there were still detectives and there were still femme fatales and everyone around, just it was 20, it was the 2000s. And yeah. I think that's a great idea. Most people couldn't get past that gimmick. And <clears throat> the longer the film was out, the more people started to realize just how good it, it moved, just how interesting his visuals were. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because as interesting as it is to have a detective story in high school where people are talking like Humphrey Bogart from the 40s, there's still that moment where... Because the other element of this is that he... Ryan Johnson was heavily inspired by Cowboy Bebop. Yep. Huge inspiration for Brick was Cowboy Bebop. Like, Spike Spiegel is all over uh, uh, the main character in this. The way he walks, the way he stands, uh, a little bit of how his hair is his shoes and there are big moments in the show that are driven by sound design and visuals because of how that show um kind of affected him like that chase scene at the high school where he's running around the corner and then he takes his shoes off because he can hear his own shoes and then he waits for the other guy and then he trips him and he goes headfirst in the pole that's super cool that's like a that's like a two minute scene with nothing but sound and visuals there's not even any music going on you're just wondering how he's going to get himself out of this situation and the way he does it is by using the sound design of the movie i thought that was really fun i just like i like okay i like the good detective story too i mean i watch i watch i watch sherlock um i like i i think despite like critical consensus i liked i robot like i really like those weird detective stories but like, like the thing, the thing is, like I guess I'm not really into. I guess, I guess I need to see it again. I don't know why this isn't one of my favorites. Hmm, maybe, it maybe it doesn't even necessarily need to be. It's like it, it's a favorite of mine because I love these these kind of movies. It's not even just detective. It's them fatales. It's the way they're talking. It's how dark it is. Like I love film noir, not just detective. Film noir is about the death of the American dream. It's about how people uh, lose themselves in an effort to try and make their lives better in a world that was never going to be better for them. 
those stories really interest me. That's kind of what uh, the new Blade Runner was. That's uh, uh, there's another movie that came out earlier. I don't want to spoil just because of what the the main character goes through. But it's a detective story that becomes very personal to him by the end, kind of like in Brick. Like he he's doing it for his ex, but you don't find out until the end that it was way more personal than that. And way more dark, and he really lost something uh, in in going through this investigation. Those are always interesting stories to me, where the detective could lose his soul through his obsession of the mystery. If he had not kept digging, he'd have, he'd have been happier. He could have found a girl that made him happy if he just didn't want to know the truth. But because he has to keep digging, because he's a detective. He finds out in the end that his ex was pregnant with his baby and it, it just kills him on the inside. We don't see it really. It's the, like the end of the movie, but it just kills him. <clears throat> yeah. That kind of stuff really moves me on a fictional level uh, and always has since the 40s and 50s. But it's different than like Sherlock or an Agatha Christie uh, murder on the Orient Express story where the whole point is the detective is just going to go there and solve a mystery kind of like it's house or something. No, like a solid pot boiler, hard boiled detective story. The detective doesn't really make it out with his soul. He never, he almost never does. He almost always escapes l less human than he was when he entered because of what he went through, because of what he saw and because of what he lost in an effort to find justice. The, those stories always interest me because of the other side of of the element that's way more character driven than anything else. Like it's one thing to have a mystery where you try and figure out what's going on. It's another thing to have a mystery where you try and figure out what's going on, and then the person you're following gets a huge like piano dropped on their head emotionally, and it gets really interesting from there. Just makes it just makes me wonder, really, 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 really wonder what he's going to do with episode eight now. Oh boy! Well, you've Ooh, seen Looper, you've seen Brick, and you can see the differences in them right there. I mean, Brick is all about the dialogue, and it's all about the unfolding, convoluted story, and a few interesting uh, physical and sound design tidbits. But Looper is a sci-fi movie through and through that's a, a, existential as hell. Like. It, the entire second half of that movie is whether that person even needs to be alive. Should someone who could be bad one day deserve the right to change? It gets super existential. And then Brothers Bloom, which you haven't seen, but is like a brother con man story. It's really kind of weird. It's a little all over the place, but it's interesting and it's funny and it's also very visual. It's, it's probably the weirdest movie out of all of them he's made. The, the point being is that he's never stuck with one genre. He, he likes to mess around. The only things that seem to be consistent with his work is that he loves character stuff, and he loves um, playing with the camera, and he loves sound design a lot. He loves spaghetti western-type sound designs. Like that when, in Brick, when that kid's playing with the straw, and then Gordon Levitt just walks up and ties it up and gives it back to him, that's, that's really cool. <laughs> Because it's, there's a lot of things to it. It's just a little thing. But if you really think about it in the context of the world that they're building, yeah, you have this leader of this low, gritty, stupid uh, gang of potheads. And the only alarm system that they have is a stoner sitting there with a straw 
doing an alarm to let his boss know that uh, somebody whose trouble is coming by. And then that trouble just takes the alarm and folds it up because the guy's a pothead and can't do anything about it. <laughs> that stuff is really fun. On a, on a bigger level, when you get to um, Star Wars, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting a lot of great camera stuff. Not necessarily a lot of great framing like um, Rogue One has. Rogue One has a lot of great imagery and a lot of great framing because it, it's trying to build a world. I think that'll happen here, but I think we're going to see some really interesting camera stuff. And we're going to see uh, a great escalation of story um, driven by character. I don't think that's what Force Awakens is. I think Force Awakens is a plot that is driven very well that happens to have some fun characters in it. And I, and I hope there's a little bit more of a balance in this one. But if see? you look at stuff like in Breaking Bad, he made like an entire episode where the two main characters try to catch a fly in the room that they cook meth in. All they do is talk about themselves while they try to catch a fly, and it's great. It's one of the best episodes of the show, bar none. It, it's amazing what he's able to do in one room with two characters and three seasons of backstory to explore. So yeah, Ryan Johnson's going to make episode eight. We will see about that, but we'll talk about that when we get and to more. Force Awakens. And he's, and he's making more. And he's making more. He is making more. <coughs> So um, I'm assuming I'm assuming you did not see Coco. <clears throat> no, I had a chance last night, but I came home and slept. Oh, you? Uh, it was yeah. It was it was. I'm gonna talk about it real quick, really quick here before we dive into episode four. It was exact. It was the movie I needed to see right at the at the right time. That movie was so freaking. What? fantastic why why is that okay so first off what's what, what struck me is that pixar went in a direction with this movie where like i'm watching this movie i'm like they animated this as if it was being shot for live action that's exactly what yeah, i thought they used a lot of technology apparently yeah it just it, it that blew me away and then the whole story, like Pixar, like is batting more than five hundred right now, in terms of like how they do story. But there's like a really much some. What do you mean sometimes? They're above hype. They're above five hundred. Are you gonna you're gonna tell me that Cars Two has an incredibly emotional story to it? I said above five hundred. I didn't say they were perfect. But they also have the good dinosaur. They've also got a couple. They've got Monsters U. They, I, they're starting to lose a little bit in the story area, I think. Watch Coco. Um, Watch Coco. Inside, they cannot all be Inside Out. Inside Out is an exceptional, exceptional story and exceptional execution. They can't all be that. You personally will not rank Coco above Inside Out, but it's pretty even with me. You just, you need to see it. I mean, I. it depends on what. The, the thing that I love about Inside Out is that it's a, it, two things, mainly. The only stakes in that movie are the happiness of a little girl, and that's amazing. How, how are you going to base your entire movie on whether or not a girl is happy by the end of it? Not, let's save the world, not this family is going to be broken apart and move away. No, this little girl needs to stay happy. That's the point of that movie. And then the theme, the lesson you take away is that sadness is important. It teaches you to be empathetic. 
If you avoid sadness, you lose the ability to understand what people go through better. Those are amazing ideas in a kid's movie, in a pretty decent, fun kid's movie that kids are going to watch uh, well into their teen years, and then those messages will be cemented into their heads. Like, I don't know of any other Pixar movie that has that awesome of a message. Just in general, like, the movie is okay because I think some of it doesn't work, and I think they have other movies that work better as wholes. But in terms of a theme and a story and stakes, nothing has topped Inside Out for me. That is an amazing idea with an unbelievable execution to it. Uh, so uh, I don't even know what Coco's about, so it's hard for me to say. But I am 25% Mexican, so who knows? I may be I was not. about to say. <laughs> uh, I have listened to the soundtrack, and the soundtrack is amazing. Yeah. I, if it, like, In terms of its theme and its story, I put it between... Actually, I'd actually put it somewhere in between Inside Out and The Incredibles. That's where I'd put it, in terms of that. Well, I mean... I, I like The Incredibles... I think that's basically the best Fantastic Four movie that we're ever going to get. Oh, yeah. Uh, with that being said, I don't really think the theme of that movie is a good one. I think I feel like that theme uh, points to the fact that if, if you're special, you're better than other people a little bit. <laughs> um, but I haven't, seen, I haven't seen the movie in a while, so I have to see if that kind of sticks in my head. Uh, but I think that's an that is an incidental theme that happens in in a fun movie that they were trying to make. I think they were trying to make a fun movie about a family that uh, is accepting who they are as a family, but in actuality they sort of paint this other picture that didn't mean to be there. Um, even to- Toy Story is a pretty solid one. Like the get ready for abandonment issues, kids, because they're coming. Like that's a pretty dark, sad. Uh, theme that they explore pretty effectively through three movies and yet still want to keep going but uh, I I don't I I don't know if anything recently is going to top that idea about Inside Out Inside Out is not my favorite Pixar movie it's just my favorite in terms of what you walk away with and I haven't necessarily heard anything about that about Coco I haven't heard that Coco is like a bad story but I haven't heard anything crazy about it all I've really heard without trying to dip my toe too far into it spoiler wise is that the technology is new and amazing and produces something elegant to watch but i i haven't even heard anything about the soundtrack which i really like and i haven't heard anything about the story or performances which it seems a little weird to me but I, I there are a lot of people that i trust that are like go see this this movie's really good but pixar to me has a choice when they make a movie they can either make it visually great that is going to be better for kids and more effective on a like entertainment level, or they could go into the depth of the story. Sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. It, per- it pertains to the process of how it was made and who's making it. So I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I think their renaissance is done, but I also think that Pixar's making solid movies. I like the story. I thought it was great. Not knowing anything about it, I can't really say that. This is just my experience. All I'm talking about right now is how I feel about Pixar as a whole. Um, because I can't talk about Coco. But I am super excited. I, I love I love the Day of the Dead. I love the visuals of that. I grew up with that. 
uh, I visited my family in Texas for Day of the Dead a lot. Uh, it it is a part of me that I really appreciate on like a, a nostalgic, memorable level. So there's a part of me as a kid that is totally going to just warm up to this movie immediately, uh, especially with the music being something that I heard growing up a lot too. Um, but now that I'm older and I care about story structure and stuff like that, I'm I'm less hard on it about on kids movies i'm just super excited when i see it in a kid's movie because they don't have to do that they don't have to make an inside out but they did and i i really loved that they did that uh zootopia is another one not a pixar movie but that is a movie that went above and beyond in its script in terms of bringing up social issues and ideas that kids are not going to understand until they're older it's not just for adults it's to give it to kids so they can learn it as they grow up you don't have to do that for a kids movie, but if you do, you're gonna you're gonna win my heart miles above any other movie. And the only thing I can really see about Coco, just seeing the trailers, is it's it's about a kid who doesn't really know um, his family or where he comes from, who plays music, and then goes to the world of the day of the dead and learns to play better and gets friends and becomes a different person when he walks away. How many stories are there about guys who little boys or guys who? Oh, one way, and then they have an adventure, and then they leave. Alex, like, you need that, to that see is, this movie. That to me is a solid. That's a solid story that you can tell very, very well. But that's what makes Inside Out or maybe Toy Story a little bit different because their themes are deeply embedded in weird stories, like the ha- the stakes of the happiness of a little girl, and placing the entire movie inside her head. That's pretty weird and a big gambit. Uh, same thing with toys. Toys are talking around and having existential crises and midlife crises, but they're toys. How, how do you make that work? Uh, so it really depends on the person telling the story and how it works. You need to see this movie. <laughs> well, what, okay, well then tell me, tell me what this, go into spoilers. I don't care. You, uh, I don't wanna. I don't wanna. <laughs> I want you, I want you to experience it. I really want you to experience I, I, it. I highly doubt there's going to be anything in this movie that's really going to affect me. I mean, unless there's like the person he's looking for as a musician is really his father or related to him or something like that. I don't. To me, it's just a boy that wants to play music and goes to uh, an adventurous place, has an adventure. Maybe he comes. Uh, maybe he comes back. Maybe he doesn't. Just, That's not a bad thing. It's just that just seems like what the story is, and what I would take away is whatever that kid takes away. Just the. I'm just gonna say what you said earlier about what you think it is, but just basing basing it just off the trailers. Your only spoiler you're gonna get from me is that you're dead wrong. <laughs> oh, it's not. A, it's not about a boy who likes to play music and goes to the magical world of the Day of the Dead. No, it is just like okay, that's that's all I got away from it. Well, then because I've only seen the one trailer. I've only seen the one where he's like playing and watching that video of that okay. guy, and then it ends with him entering into the world and being like, "Oh, this is beautiful." I've never seen any trailer after that. It's not stereotypical. How about that? It's not stereotypical. And also, I never like Zach would if Zach was here, he'd be bringing up Book of Life a lot. And I, I haven't seen that either, so I can't really compare the stories. But, yeah, I mean, I don't think Coco... I, I feel like when I look at Coco, it, it, the point that that movie was made for was the technical achievements they could do with it. Not really the story. 
the, you can like you can tell when the movie's done. Like, what was the reason they made it for? Is it because it was a passion project by the person making it? Did they have something to say, or was there something that they wanted to explore on a technical level? Like, Avatar is a movie where James Cameron was like, "Oh, I want to make a movie like this, and I think I can make a movie like this." Uh, I need a story though. Uh, Dances with Wolves. There you go. I don't need to care about the story now. Let's just make this movie. Inside Out, it's different. They were like, we have something to say. Let's find a weird way to say it, and we'll go that route. And Coco looks like the kind of movie they're like, we have this new way to tell a story and this new technology to paint the backgrounds and get these colors down and make it all lifelike. Let's just tell a story about it. What's a really colorful idea or a place or a setting? Day of the Dead. Oh, yeah, dude, thanks. Well, we'll do Day of the Dead. That, that's what it feels like when I look at that movie. I'm not saying it's like good, the good dinosaur kind of boring, because the good dinosaur is a super boring movie with not much to it for a Pixar movie. And this doesn't look like that. It's all I'm gonna say is it's not it's not like stereotypical story. It's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Well, what's it's stereo- great. What, what what's a stereotypical? It's story? not like he go. It's not like he wants to play. It's not like he wants to play music and then he goes to the day of the dead becomes a better musician and then all that other stuff there's something to get out of it um like unlike the stereotype i'm certain that there's more to it but those let me get let me ask do those events happen in the movie yes okay yes fine you win i'm not saying that's stereotypical but like that that to me is the basis for putting a lot of great character stuff and an adventure story in there. Like you, but like what you get away with that, you can what you get out of it, you can get out of any story about a person who goes on an adventure, which have been around since. Like it, Sir Conan Doyle nailed it. Like they they are important, entertaining stories for a reason. There's nothing wrong with them. There's not even a level to them that's necessarily stereotypical. It's just when you compare it to something like. Toy Story Inside Out, where the actual ideas themselves are executed in weird ways. Um, that I never. I, that is what I wasn't getting from Coco. I was getting a adventure story vibe from Coco, rather than you're gonna get something weird out of this that you might take away from it. Like I, I Up is one of those movies. No one saw Up coming. Sure, the most impactful ten minutes of that movie. Uh, are at the beginning and then people kind of window around about the rest of it but the rest of it is still solid character stuff it's still an arc it's the main character still goes through some stuff and he goes through it in a very weird visual adventurous fun way uh so there's a lot of depth and a lot of character to up but how do you describe up really simply a guy goes on an adventure with a little kid to south america to try and fulfill the wish of his uh dying wife from years ago that's that's a really you can totally say it. The guy goes on an adventure and learns to love people again in life because of it. That That's what Up is. But there's so much more to Up. It says so much about marriage, about love, about soulmates, about sacrifice, about um, just being happy again. How to open yourself up to other people. What not to do when you're closing yourself up to other people. All of those are in that movie. All of those are great things that you can talk about and, and dissect. And I'm pretty sure that those same kind of things are in Coco. But when you talk about Inside Out, it's like, God, does you know? Do you need sadness in life? Sadness, sadness breeds happiness. How does it breed happiness? Well, it, it allows you to be empathetic with others because others have been through sadness. What's making you think about this? The death of a half furry cat elephant, uh, imaginary friend. 
who's riding a power, uh, like a magic wagon that flies. These are all weird ideas, weird, seriously weird ideas that are hard to bring to a table and say can work, especially when your message is just make the little girl happy. But in Coco or Up, it's about people who go on journeys, beginnings, end, and change because of it. I wouldn't say that's stereotypical. I would say that's just normal compared to the other ones. The other ones are chances. And I'm not saying Pixar needs to make every film a chance. I always react to the chances. And I think what I'm going to take away from Coco is not going to be as powerful as something like Up. Uh, But I think I'm going to like it a lot. I think I'm going to really like it a lot. Because it's a kid's movie, too. It's not for me. Right. Coco's great, everyone. Go see it. I, I loved the Cinderella that came out a little bit ago with Kevin Branagh made. And oh, I was yeah. watching it with somebody who loves animated movies. He loves them. He watches them all the time. He loves Disney ones. And we're watching this live action version. And he's like, I don't, I don't like this. I don't dig it. I'm like, why? He's like, the colors are weird. And it's all these women. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> he just didn't, he couldn't get the story. He couldn't get to the fact that it was a movie made for 14 year old girls. It's a movie. It's a movie for 14 year old girls. And, and teenage girls, that's who the audience is. So if you know that and watch the movie that way, you can really appreciate the fact that it's a good movie. If you're not, if you're expecting it to be for everyone, then uh, it's not gonna, you're not going to like it. I, I, I don't know what he was necessarily expecting. So when I see kids' movies, I don't hold them to the same standards as everyone else. And I don't hold Pixar to the same oh standard God. that I used to anymore uh, because I think they're losing their grip as they begin to focus on different things with their movies. And Zach and I were talking about this before. A lot of what p- made Pixar successful is that their first few movies were all decided in, at one dinner with the best people at Pixar. Like the first four movies were huge successes because they were brainstormed at one dinner when they were in the zone. They just, they just had it down pat. They knew what they were doing. And it was the right foot to step on. And right now they're just kind of, they're kind of, uh, they're just another studio to me. They're not. They're, their golden age is over. That's not a bad thing. It's just I don't get as excited when something like Coco shows up anymore. <laughs> it's great. Everyone go see it. <laughs> I really want people to see it. I, I want that music to get around. I want to hear Remember Me everywhere. I loved that song. I uh, love the, yeah. the Loco song. I thought that was great too. Uh, I li- I've listened to that soundtrack up and down a few times. Uh, and and it is beautiful looking. The end of that trailer, I really, really was like, that's stunning. And I want to go see that. I do want to go see it. It's like Thor. I want to go see Thor desperately. I just haven't gotten around to it because of how much I'm working. But as, as that being the case, I also have to tell myself that maybe I should dwindle my excitement a little bit because A, I'm not going to get to it in a while. And B, I, it, I'm just not that excited about Pixar the way I used to. So hopefully when I sit down and watch the movie, I will be warmly surprised and super happy about it and really enjoy it, A, because I've heard the music, and B, because I've kind of had this uh, non-plus, non-excited mood about it. So maybe when I watch this feel-good, really great movie, it'll just put me in the mood that you actually seem to feel like you're in right now. (laughs) I don't like Cinderella. (laughs) All these women are upsetting me. Yes, it was weird. Um, it was weird. But that's the thing, like, he, he, that, that's just how it is. Like, some guys don't want to watch 
stories that are, have a bunch of women in them and have because they just are women issues and they can't respond to them. They don't. It's not like he was like, I don't like women stuff, but he was admitting it in that moment that he's like, I don't relate to this stuff. But he just said it in a very clumsy way. I wish he could relate to that stuff. I relate to that stuff, but he feels like he couldn't. So he didn't want to watch it. But I, it, it's not like it wasn't entirely there. Again, it was a movie made for girls. That were 14, that like Cinderella and like, you know, stories about girls that have jerk moms and jerk sisters and can fall in love. It's it's a fairy tale. All right. So uh, that was our brief synopsis of Coco and a uh, deep dive into Pixar. Like that was more like me breaking down what Pixar is doing these days. But it's, it's a better <laughs> call than us spoiling yeah. the movie. I loved Coco. I mean, I spoiled spoil Brick it. a little bit, so you like, did. But at the same time, I don't. I Brick is great regardless. Yeah. So we uh, kind of have to know things to enjoy that movie a bit more. Yeah. So, you ready to do this? Yep. We have finally gotten out of the prequel era. We reviewed Rogue One rather clumsily, I admit, but uh, we are here now in the original trilogy. Episode four, A New Hope. Yeah, the one well, that started it all. Yep, the one that started it all. I was watching this movie, you know, I'm just like, I just like asked myself, like, how did any of this get to where it is now? It's amazing. I love seeing that too. I just love. I like seeing that. It has a. It, it's the '70s were a very interesting time for how movies were changing. And it just came out at the right time. Um, but also, a big thing about why the 70s worked as blockbusters is that Spielberg and Lucas were... were they, they handed that a lot in terms of how uh, action movies and adventure movies would look in the 80s, starting in the 70s. But they were big fans of serial movies and old 40s adventure movies. And they were just using those structures. And in the case of Star Wars, like an actual plot of an old movie to get people to get excited about new stuff again. They were just using old storytelling structures and techniques to get people excited about fun movies again. So it, it, it's sort of like this, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Everyone's like, oh, they're making the Cinematic Universe and doing it successfully. No. Universal did it years ago, decades ago with their monster movies. It's like Mummy meets Frankenstein and Dracula and Wolfman get together and they used to do that a lot. Now they can't get they can't get their foot in the door with those monsters <laughs> to save their life. But it it's sort of like it's sort of the same thing with Star Wars. When they stepped in with this movie, when George Lucas was making it, he was looking at an old adventure movie that worked structurally, put it into a different genre, and built the world wonderfully, wonderfully. It, it just the set designs in this movie are just so effective. It's crazy. For how low budget it was, for how much he didn't think was going to work when he was making it, he, there's a very singular vision about how the world looks and feels that uh, helped it out a lot. Nothing really looked like it back in the 1970s. All right, just so you know. I mean, like, go ahead. No, go ahead. Just so you know, I uh, I think I took my notes better, so we might get through this a little quicker. So that's just letting, that's letting you know. So, uh, you ready to do this? Yeah. 
Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, released May 25th, 1977, written and directed by George Lucas before he became old and cynical. Starring Harrison Ford, Sir Alec Guinness, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Anthony Daniels, James Earl Jones. <clears throat> so the opening crawl establishes the struggle between the Empire and the Rebellion, mentions the events of Rogue One heavily, and just uh, throws us right into it. Right into the whole conflict of things. Yeah. So the 10 of E4... Um, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, it, they, they throw that information out at you fast, and you see that battle happen, and they, they, they put your foot in the door real quick on the war aspect, but then there's a good... It's a good long stretch of time where you're just on that desert and it's kind of slow. It's it's a very it's an interesting pacing decision because of what happens later in the movie. But yeah, they they get your foot in the door with ships fighting and then it's sort of it's sort of calm for a while. So the Genevieve 4 is being chased by the Star Destroyer. That shot never gets old. Never. Um so 3PO and R2 I believe are uh searching for Leia. Other Otherwise, they're just meandering about the ship. Uh, Rebels are prepping for a fight. Stormtroopers melt down the door. Everybody starts shooting. Rebels are losing, so they fall back. Droids. Okay, so the, there's a moment in this in this uh, this uh, this fight inside the ship. So, like, so the droids are like trying to cross a street. Like, they, the you know how like you It's like the droids are trying to cross a highway with speeding cars going back and forth. Except this with laser bolts. And so they manage to cross this hallway that's just filled with blaster fire, and they don't get touched once. Well, that's that's the interesting thing. You have to ask yourself, what did they tell the actors when they were filming that? They were like, lasers are flying by your face. So they're like, no, lasers are going off everywhere. Just, you know, respond to all these things happening around you. And then later when they digitally added it, they were like, they're not responding fast enough. Put in more lasers. <laughs> All right, so so they don't get caught in the crossfire. That was weird. We then got our first shot of Darth Vader walking into the hallway amongst the bodies. Um, so then later on, Leia dumps the plans and a message with R2-D2, and they go on their merry way. And the uh, then the fight's over. Rebels are captured. Vader chokes one out. Like, Vader... I like how our first thing of Vader is he is literally choking a man by the neck and holding him up like 18 inches off the ground. It's just like, where are the plants? Very villainous. That's, that's that, that, that's a villain right there. So, and then, so he's not giving him the plans. Vader really wants the droids bad. So scour the ship. I want the, I want the droids. And I want the princess alive. So then Leia tries to escape through a squad of stormtroopers, but then get, eats a stun bolt. So that was a failure. Droids board an escape pod. They uh, they board an escape pod. They launch. The imps think the Imperials think that it's uh, a malfunction in the uh, escape pod. Why was that their first guess? I don't know. Uh, let's see here. Leia take Leia's. Good. Well, no, I, I don't know either. Yeah. So Leia's taking Vader. Tries to play the diplomat card, saying, "Hey, I'm I, I'm innocent. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what kind. Like, I ain't got no drugs in the trunk." Um. Huh. <laughs> so Vader's not Vader's not an idiot. Uh, orders are imprisoned, and uh, Tatooine, and he wants Tatooine searched for the plans because he's not an idiot. Villains can't be idiots, all right. Learn from the MCU. Yes, they. 
Yes, they can. Villains can totally be idiots. A good villain is someone who can make a mistake and uh, both respond and correct to it later. Okay, not a constant I idiot. They, I don't think they... Well, I don't think they're trying to do that here. I just think... I, I, I've just seen movies where the villain makes a mistake, understands it, and then corrects it uh, with another plan. It's a, I, I, it makes a villain human to me when they understand um, the situation a bit better and act like a person when things don't work, work out. But also, um, I, with the first entrance and the first appearance of Vader, the suit, the voice... The world, all of it is very imposing in general uh, on the audience. It's it, it's just, the imagery is perfect. So we cut to Tatooine. Droids exit the escape pod. They're just wandering in the desert now. They bicker about. C-3PO just kicks them, and then they just walk their separate ways. But, they, but then eventually they end up back on the, uh, the same uh, Jawa Sandcrawler. After, and R2 was the one shown getting stunned. So, that was funny. They just, like, the Jawas just swarmed him, zapped him, and he just fell over on his face. Great. Yeah. High comedy. Uh, I I can't wait to see, I can't wait to see if I can, like, for you to watch The Hidden Fortress, because it's, it, a lot of it, plot-wise, it's the same thing, but also Lucas has made it very clear um, that he took from that movie small things a lot. It's just like in the first six minutes, you can see three small Star Wars references right off the bat. It's super fun. I can't wait for you to watch it. Okay, so all the droids... So, the, um, they're in the Sandcrawler. They reunite. Get, all, get to see all the droids that we're all now used to. At least that I'm used to. Um, cut back to the Stormtroopers searching the desert. They're still searching for the droids. Then we go to the Lars farm. Come on, computer. Um... Go to Lars Farm. The Sandcrawler arrives there. Get her first shot of Luke Skywalker, all grown up now. He's, he's gr- they grow up no so fast. No he they grow up so yeah. fast. <laughs> um, I mean, it's almost like an entire movie happened between this and the last time we saw him. Yeah, an entire four-season animated show. <laughs> um. Yeah. yeah. Um. I think. The the moment you see Luke here, the the feel of it, I this is what I, I think the contrast between the battle that we see before and this very calm desert farm that he lives on is great. It's it highlights again the hero's journey that he goes through a lot. Like for him to go from that small dusty farm to in the brouhaha that we saw earlier, that takes two hours and it's gonna be fun. That to me is is great. All right, so now, yeah, so yeah, he, so they are, they're picking droids. Eventually, um, Owen Lars picks uh, C-3PO and some random R5 unit. Uh, Luke, then he wants Luke to take him over to the garage and have him cleaned. This is where we got the line where Luke wanted to go to Tashi, Sa- St- Tashi Station to quote pick up some power converters. You're not fooling me, Luke. What he wants to get? He wants to get his ride souped up. He's a teenage kid with a car. The only thing he can do is drive around. That's it. So uh, the R five uh, malfunctions. Wait, by... wait, wait, wait. Go ahead. Wait, what do you think that he's getting other than power converters? 
I'll leave it to your imagination. Um, so I'm gonna imagine. I'm gonna imagine illegal kitten sales. All right. He's so, buying. He's buying <laughs> black market kittens. That's what I think he's doing. I was assuming black tar heroin, but you know. Um. Oh wow! Wow! I was using my imagination. You used maybe you he's used going real world. Maybe he's going to the. Uh, maybe he's going to the. Maybe he's going to a club. Like the naughty club. Uh. Like showgirls in downtown. The, the point is, I think, honestly, the point is to highlight that for Luke Skywalker, going to town to get power converters is the most exciting thing in his day. That is that, true. That's what, he's, that, what his plan is. That's a big deal for him. That's how boring his life has become because his aunt and his uncle don't want him out there because uh, they know that he might be like his father. So yeah, there are five malfunctions by sheer fate, and uh, so they take R2 instead. So it's 3PO and R2 to have him cleaned. Go to the garage. Luke wants a more exciting life, essentially. He's flying his model starship. He's 19 years old. <laughs> he's yeah. 19 years old. He's flying his little ship like he's a kid. That's great. <laughs> so, 3PO says they were a part of the rebellion. That stuns Luke. So then Luke accidentally starts the broken hologram loop of Leia off of R2. Calls her beautiful. That's not creepy at all in con- out of uh, in context. Um Hey man, if you don't know if you don't know it's your sister and she's cute, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Also it just highlights the fact that that's not what Lucas was going to do. Yeah. That was not his original intent. Um R2 tricks Luke into removing the restraining bolt so he can escape later. It basically says, "Hey, if you remove this bolt, maybe I can play this whole message." Removes bolt. Pl- the message doesn't play, and Luke's like, "What did you do?" <laughs> Bring back the entire message. The Archie's like, "What message? I didn't say nothing." Three <laughs> people wax him. <laughs> this is great. This is great. Sorry, this is awesome. So, <laughs> I I I t- take it that you're a fan of Star Wars. Maybe. Um. So yeah, R two actually tricked Luke. Yeah, no, this is this is all very this is all very charming stuff. Like pe- people talk about. Luke being kind of whiny, but he's got a reason to whine. Right. They, they talk about the droids being kind of annoying, but they're honestly, they have a reason to bicker and fight. Uh, they have a reason to be weird around Luke. Uh, all of this stuff makes sense and matters. That's it, not what the prequels do at all. All of this stuff has a point. So, yeah, we go to dinner with the uh, Lars and Luke. Owen and uh, Baru are, are like are like really protecting him hard or saying like like guy have you on for another season. It's like that's what you said the last time. So Luke's on so Luke's getting upset. He just so he walks outside, gets some fresh air, looks at the sunset. Just Okay. Gonna go off on a little tangent here. This sunset this sunset shot is awesome. But now this is what gets me excited for episode eight. And this is the kind of stuff I like. That I like to think about. How do you think Luke looks back on that moment right now? Um, See, that's the stuff well, that, that's the curiosity that drives that, me. We, I, was, well, I was thinking about that when we were talking about him kissing his sister. Like, if there's <laughs> anyone who probably thinks that stuff is, is weird in context, it's him. Um, <laughs> but I think, I, yes. Well, no, I don't think he looks back at. Maybe he does look back at that moment specifically. It's important to us because of how it looks to us. But, and I, and I'm pretty sure that 
the him standing looking at the sunset at the end of Force Awakens is a callback to that, and or maybe he just loves sunsets and vistas. <laughs> but How is he not blind? He, I, I, if he were to look back at that moment, it's again, I think he would get the same feeling that we get when we watch this movie, which is we're watching a farm boy turn into a starfighter in two hours. He 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 goes through a lot to get there. He achieves goals, and he becomes a better, more complete person because of it. Well, we don't know it that is, for sure he yet. He would look back at that and be like, that was the beginning of my hero's journey. Uh, that That is why that moment is so great, because we can look back at, an, at it as an audience, and he can look back at it, at it as a character and go, that was what that was when things started at all. He may look back and go, that was an easier life, but I don't think he misses it. I think he feels complete. So uh, he goes but back. Then, then, then again, he is isolated uh, at an old Jedi temple. Yes. Uh, with all he had lost. So. Right. Nowadays, he's not the same. That's what that. That's what I was thinking. I want to know what that Luke was thinking. Back how that Luke. Well, thinks I think back he's probably still thinking the same thing. I don't think he knew that this was going to come, but I think he's happy that things happen. I mean, if we really want to go into who we think Ray is, I. I I honestly think that Ray, and I'm not the first person to think of this, but I, I, I think Ray is still the daughter of Harrison Ford and, and Carrie Fisher. I, I think she's still Han Solo I and think... Ray's daughter. I think, I think she's the sister of Kylo Ren. So I think she's I think she's the niece of Luke. And I, I think that Ray of Hope, get it, Ray? I think that Ray <laughs> of Hope is the thing that's going to uh, help change his mind from where he's at. And I think by the end of the film, who realized there is some hope to the Skywalker family. There is some hope to the fact that I left that place. But that's the other thing. It was always kind of always going to happen to him because of who his father was, because of what his last name was, because of what he had in him force wise. Whether he was raised in a desert or not didn't matter. Whether he had a, a happy, simple life or whether he was like Jin, where he had to go into hiding for the rest of his life. It, it doesn't matter. He was always going to end up in the battle because of where he came from. Yeah. It's just that kind of curiosity that drives me. I like that. And it's it's interesting stuff considering where they've taken him. Like that, it, These are the good kind of questions you want to ask for a sequel. If we like found out years later that something else had happened to him, maybe it wouldn't be as interesting or maybe it wouldn't pose as interesting questions. So I like the fact that he's isolated somewhere, having had a horrible experience happen to him um, after all this good happened. So I'm interested to see where his head at. Head is at why? Why does he think the Jedi need to end? Which I honestly agree with, but why does he think they need to end? Hmm. So uh, he goes back into the garage, um, finds C-3PO. C-3PO tells him R2 ran away. Uh, they, uh, they, they'll essentially just go and search for him in the morning. So the morning comes, uh, Luke and, uh, 3 go looking for R2. Um, let's see. Tus so then the Tusken Raiders are actually observing them as they're zipping by on their speeder. And, uh, so they mobilize. They get, so they find R2, forcing him to, they're forcing him to come back when he senses, uh, on his little sensors thing. Um, that uh, Tusk Invaders are coming, and then I wrote this down in, in all caps. Luke wants to go have a look. Yeah, he's bored. That backfires. Yes, he is knocked up. unconscious. 
So yeah, how did that work out for you, Luke? He, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not. It, he is still a dumb little kid. He he's curious and he's and he's bored. But that doesn't mean he should go have an adventure without any real, without really thinking about his actions. And, and yeah, thank goodness Obi Wan is there. That's the great thing about this movie. It has, it has story appropriate coincidences. It's not like that guy from Rogue One who's the bad guy from Rogue One who's constantly showing up whenever Jin shows up. Right. <laughs> like, they, <laughs> like you think that the droids are going to be separated from the Skywalkers, and then all of a sudden the droid that they pick is broken, and they have to get R two. It's not. It's not a coincidence. It's a fun little moment of building tension, like. You know Luke Skywalker is the the person you're supposed to follow. You know he's bored. You know he wants to do stuff. You want him to do stuff. You want him to go on the adventure. You you want him to look at that stuff. And then what happens? He gets knocked in the head. And you're like, "Uh uh-oh, maybe he shouldn't. Maybe this kid doesn't know what he's doing. And oh, oh, somebody's helping him now. The entrance of Obi-Wan. It's all funny and silly and we can make fun of it. But at the end of the day, like structurally, it's, it's pretty sound. Yeah. So Obi-Wan comes as he's unconscious and the Raiders are pillaging his speeder. Scares off the Tusken Raiders. Wakes up Luke. Luke tells him about R2. Obi-Wan doesn't remember R2. Now, people say that's a plot hole. But I say, listen. He just watched his best friend, like, freaking turn to the dark side, wipe out innocent, wipe out Jedi younglings. And he left him burning in the bottom of a... At the bank, at the bottom, at the bank of a of a lava river, you would think all that guilt would make him forget everything about, or like almost everything about what happened. So of course, maybe he forgot R two because of the guilt. So people think of, people uh, think of that as a as a plot as a, like a plot, like a plot hole. But I'm just like, whatever. It's his guilt. I mean, he doesn't want to remember him. I, I have no problem looking past that. I don't really know about your guilt theory. I don't know if guilt works that way, but uh, I would. I it is a plot hole though. It's just the kind of thing that Lucas probably should have thought about. But for me, it's more like I think Obi Wan always knew that the droid's memory got wiped, so he's just not going to be friendly with the droid. On top of the fact that he doesn't want Luke to know anything about who his father was, so he's. He's kind of keeping that close to the chest, and if he sort of like gets into how he knows R two and all this stuff, it's just going to lead to a can of worms he probably doesn't want to open. But honestly, it's just the small inconsistencies that come with uh, prequels that he makes later. The problem with a prequel in general, and the problem with George Lucas is that he didn't study his movies well enough. <laughs> like that's that sucks, but he didn't. All right, so. It, it was like R2 flying. I didn't care that R2 flew. I could get past that idea. I could form a theory in my head that answers that question. The thing is, you still shouldn't do it. It's still pretty dumb. It's an obvious uh, misstep. I don't care, but it's an obvious misstep. So they go back to... Um, so they grab Obi- they grab uh, 3PO and take him to Obi-Wan's little hut. Obi-Wan spills backstory about uh, the Jedi and the Clone War about Anakin, gives Luke Anakin's old lightsaber, uh, lies, does the lie about Darth Vader, about making Anakin and Vader two separate people. 
reminisces about the whole Clone Wars and how Anakin was a very good friend of his. So then R2 plays the message from Leia, uh, basically saying, Obi-Wan, we need your help. Uh, Death Star plans inside this droid. Get this droid to uh, Rebel Base. Go now, please. I'm dying or something like that. Um, so Obi-Wan wants Luke to take up the mission and learn the ways of the Force. Luke is too busy. Declines. Cut to the Death Star. <laughs> Cut to the Death Star. Villainous meeting of villains. Target says Palpatine dissolved the Senate. Some are worried about the Death Star plans being in limbo as they are. Some aren't. One taunts Vader gets choked for a lack of faith. Which was... I'm surprised that, 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 that scene is really not talked about anymore. I find your lack of faith disturbing. That's such, well, a, great, that's what, such a great moment. What, is, why do you, what do you find interesting about it? Well, because, like, there's still... Actually... Do you think it's weird that Vader still holds on that Darth Vader still holds on to a piece of the that time when he was a Jedi? Or am I just like am I being weird here? By using the word faith? No, by like him like cuz this imperial is like taunting about his old ancient religion, the Force, cuz it's ancient, cuz the Jedi are all extinct and that and he's like the last of it. So, like, he starts taunting Vader, and Vader just starts choking him and says, I find your lack of faith disturbing. Like, he took offense to him offending his faith, offending his Force faith. Well, I think the the Force has is has a good and a dark side, so I think the Sith do believe in it. They do have faith in the dark side of the Force, so they believe in the Force. Like, he still believes in this magical power that allows him to mystifyingly choke people from across the room. He believes in that. And to make other people believe in him as an intimidating villain, he's doing that as an example. He's setting an example. And by saying that phrase, lack of faith, he's reminding people that he has the ability to do this and they can't because they don't believe it. Even though Vader's a myth in uh, the new canon at this point in time, people, not a lot of people so, think he's, he's, he's like a ghost story. He's yeah, like, but he's like if you work with him, you're not. It's not a ghost story. He's nope. your fucking boss. Yeah. <laughs> so he's your boss. Like th- these guys aren't a myth. Like maybe they didn't. Maybe Vader wasn't there every day during the construction of the Death Star, but he certainly came at a certain point before this happened, and people started getting the word around. My my assumption is when Rogue One happened, and that started getting that started getting bigger. The stories of what. Uh, Vader could do were starting to get around because he was getting more aggressive and he was trying to figure out things. But if you were, if you're at the Death Star, chances are you know that dude exists. You've run into him from time to time, and he's probably choked out a coworker or two of yours. So yeah, so that happens. Tarkin vows to destroy the rebellion with the Death Star. Go back to Tatooine. Luke and um, Obi Wan survey a destroyed Sandcrawler. They observe that. It wasn't the Tusken Raiders who did it. So Luke starts putting two and two together. Like, this is the same Sandcrawler that visited the Lars farm. It wasn't Tusken Raiders. They don't have the firepower to do that. Then he realizes, oh, crap, it's the Rebellion. So then he races back to the Lars farm to find it to find it smoking and on fire and the smoking skeletons of Owen and Baru. Yes, you heard me right. They're skeletons. That's dark for a movie that's intended to be for 12, 13-year-olds. Dark. Well, I mean... I don't necessarily. I, uh, 
it'd be I think it would be worse if we could like see their bodies with like holes in it and blood skeletons is their kind of way of being like no blood no faces but imagine as a 12 year old seeing that for the first time they used to put they put dancing skeletons in cartoons all the time it's it's more cartoony than a real body but at the same time I I don't think this was just for 12 year olds and kids I think this was for a little bit older than that I think this was probably for people up to high I think this was like 20 or lower but at the same like trying to hit both demographics at the same time it's pretty good but also as a sci-fi movie it's just easier it's just easier to be like they used a ray gun that that burned all their flesh off <laughs> Mars attack style so yeah now Luke has like no is nothing now so Leia, so they cut back to they cut to Leia actually getting, getting tortured by this about about to be tortured by this droid, and then they cut away at the last second. So back to the broken crawler. Luke says there's nothing left for him here, and he wants to become a Jedi like his father. Probably not the best idea, um, or the best example. Um, they go to Mos Eisley. Obi Wan uses the mind trick to avoid a traffic stop. It's very effective. Uh, so then they enter the infamous cantina. So Obi-Wan goes in, he's looking for a pilot, Luke tries to get a drink at the counter, then he actually ends up starting crap with a butt mouth and troll nose instead. Nah. No, they started it, he didn't do anything, they, they were looking for a fight. I see. So Obi-Wan, of course, as the Jedi, as the Jedi is bound to do by law and uh, nature, he cuts off butt mouth's hand and presumably kills troll nose. <laughs> I, uh... Yeah, I guess I guess he kills Chonos. I mean, he amputates him. Yeah. So then we so then we finally get our introduction to Han Solo and Chewbacca. They talk about they uh, they brag about the Kessel do Run. Care, do, do you care if Han shot first or not? We'll get to that. Um, okay. They talk about they they brag about the Kessel Run. They actually they negotiate the deal to get to the to get to Alderaan. They eventually make the deal. Luke said he's never coming back to this dust ball. Ha ha ha. Um, then we got that spot. Now, Alex, I'm assuming you watched the Blu-ray version. What? Uh, and I, my, my dad bought them on the Xfinity Comcast, so it was whatever version they were. They the edited one from the '90s. I have no idea. The, the okay, the updated ones with these special graphics and whatnot, right? Oh yeah, no, that that can't go away. Those are there. Even even on the Xfinity ones, there there's no other way to get the other versions. Now, I needed a palate cleanser after the prequels, so I got out my old VCR copy of the original trilogy, and I popped in episode four because darn it, I was gonna do it. So, in this version... Well, you're lucky. You, you can do that, yeah. <laughs> I'm an American, darn it. No, you're just, you're just a Star Wars fan, so you got the VHS. I, I think those things take away from the movie a lot, uh, especially in the, in the later ones, but that's... To me, it just it points out the things I don't like about George Lucas as a filmmaker, but also the things I find very interesting as, his, as an evolving gr- filmmaker. Like, he has great things from his early work, and he has some good things from his later work. 
his later work is not very good and filled with bad decisions like this because of what he was interested in. He was he was very interested in computer dra- graphics and uh, his his ideas have furthered how CGI works in amazing ways. So he and he's done a lot of good for the business just when he tries to apply it to his stories. It's really not good. And I, I, I don't like seeing it in Star Wars. I hate the fact that he did it, but I find it interesting every time I see it. I'm like, why'd you do that, man? That's not a good idea. <laughs> and now it's here forever. And I hope one day that he regrets it. <laughs> I, I hope he regrets it a lot. So then it'll be there and he can't take it away. Okay. That's his fault, his baby. Okay, so I watched the VHS version. You watched the, uh, the, you watched the other one. So, in my version, it plays, in our, both our versions, it plays out the same, except in your version, the one you watched, Greedo shot first. In my version, it actually isn't, it's actually ambiguous as to what happens. There's a flash, there's sparks, there's smoke, and then Greedo gets down. So, we're left to assume that Hans shot first. Now. You're, le- you're left with, if you care about it. Like, no, okay, hang on, I, hang on, hang on, say, hang on. People say it defines who his character is. It's a big defining moment for his character. To to me, not really. I mean, if he shot first, that's interesting. But if he doesn't shoot first, but reacts to a, someone who does shoot first very well and gets out of that situation, that explains Han Solo to me more as a character. He's a guy who constantly finds himself in danger without really realizing it, but gets him out at, by the skin of his teeth. That's more of a Han Solo character to me if I was to think about that. But that's because the movie's been around for so long and people have argued about this moment. If I was just watching the movie, I, I wouldn't have cared. Man, our Han Solo but review is going to be something. That, they changed it. that Han Solo review is going to be something, man. I'm telling you. Um, uh, I, yeah, I like Ron Howard, but I don't know if he can make a Han Solo movie. So or should. They... So... Apparently the rule with this kind of thing, because this people have debated this for a long time, and people are asking, "What's canon? Did he shoot first? Is that canon, or is, is the fact that he did is that Greedo shot, shot first canon?" And so basically, you want to know what Lucasfilm's answer is with all these kind of things. What? It's whatever you want it to be. Yeah, that's how movies work. That's how stories work. You can't always do that. Surely, you can't yes, always do that. You you can't always do that. Yes, but you you can't you can't always do that. No, when no, no. You make, when you make a universe that covers more than one medium, when this it is... comes to film, though, you have to have cheats. If you don't have cheats, then you have to make an entire sheet, TV show that explains everything. Okay, if these were a book series. You could have an entire chapter that explains what kind of person Han is and that he shot first. If you can go into depth with stuff like that, but when it's a film, you have you have arcs, you have structure. It's a style of filmmaking, it's storytelling. You, there are rules that they have to go with. They have you have to just accept some things. That's the way it is when a movie comes out. But that's that's the other thing. Filmmakers, especially back then, weren't making films for people to watch over and over and over and over again. Home video wasn't a big thing back when this movie came out. It was only a big thing around like rich people. They weren't thinking long term. That now people are especially, but back then, 
Lucas was just making a film that people could see for maybe one or two years in the theaters and then maybe one day would be accessible at home easily. Maybe it would show up on TV a lot, but it, it's a language that needs lies. It needs cheats. You, ha- you have to have them. You have to have them in filmmaking, but you can't build it out to books and comics and video games and novels and then not use that stuff in your movies and hopefully keep your fans. You're not going to keep your fans. If you ignore this extended universe where you're still taking their money in other forms of storytelling, and then the biggest, most popular one, you just sort of poo-poo them and push them aside, you're going to lose fans. That's a disrespect to fans. But I, I think when it comes to filmmaking and it comes to those moments, yes, I think people need to be... I think people need to be more lenient with them, but that's not how fans work. And I would never ask a fan to think differently because if fans didn't think and get as over analytical as they do, then we wouldn't have the new ones. We wouldn't have interesting nerd driven conversation driven geek culture driven star Wars films that are coming out now. Cause that's what we're getting now. We wouldn't get an entire rogue one story that most of it is just references and nostalgia for fans and world building for the world that they need now to get bigger on screen. That was for the fans. Rogue One, whether you like it or love it or hate it, that was for the fans. That was their idea of what they thought they wanted. So you don't really care one way or the other which version actually wins out or whatever. If Han shot first or he didn't, you don't really care. I I think because... Lucas has really made it super ambiguous. There's the theatrical version. There's your VHS version. There's edited for TV versions. There's this special edition version. But the word canon doesn't necessarily apply to the films anymore. Now, to me, it's an exercise in character um, analysis. It's what do you think better shoots Han Solo in that situation? To me... It doesn't matter whether he shoots first or not. It's the fact that when he finds himself in a situation where people are shooting, he gets he gets out by the skin of his teeth. He gets out, but he gets out by the skin of his teeth. That, to me, is what I take away from that. I don't think that was their intention. I think their intention was to be like, this world's shady, he's a pirate, and he's good with a gun. He's the guy you need to follow, guys. He survived this situation. He's, he's who you're going to follow with, too. So, yeah. Uh, however way you want to look at it, whether Han shot first or he didn't, either way, Greedo ended up dead and Han Solo walked away. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's wrong to have the conversation. I just think because there's so many different versions that have been muddled by the actual creator himself, some specifically for fans, which makes it even weirder, it's it's very hard to have that conversation without bringing in um, the other, why the other versions work for his character and don't work for his character. It, it's fun to talk about, but it can also be detrimental if you're not, if you're not careful. Wipe to the Death Star. Tarkin has an idea to break Leia, sets course for Alderaan. Back to Tatooine. Luke spells the speeder. They go to the Millennium Falcon. Luke calls it a piece of junk. It, gets me, it has me laugh every time. The imps are the imps. The imperial. I keep calling them the imps. The imperials fo- uh, follow them, and uh, they uh, unload on the Falcon before they escape. Uh, so now they're in space, being chased by two star destroyers. Luke and Han bicker all the way to hyperspace, and I swear to God, Han said the quote that Anakin stole in Episode Three. This is where the fun begins, <laughs> because poetry has to rhyme. Okay. 
Well, yeah, that's. I'm seeing that the more we watch him now, how many lines are said over and over again throughout the series by different characters, and they have different meanings. I think it's cool. I, I don't. I, I, yeah, Lucas said in an interview that it was that the saga was supposed to rhyme, and that with hopefully the new episodes that they would rhyme as well. And I, and moments like that kind of hark to that idea for me. So we go to the Death Star orbiting Alderaan. Leia has an English accent now. That's weird. Uh, Tarkin threatens threatens to blow up. I li- okay. I like to think she's just mocking them. That's what I like to think. She's just mocking them. I, I just don't. I don't. I think that maybe was the first shot of her. So maybe her first big scene. And they were filming in London, and she's American, and they just hadn't. She's surrounded by a bunch of British villains. I can see her sort of slipping into that with takes every now and then or just in that scene. And then later when she was around um, Luke and Han, Han uh, Harrison Ford and, and Mark Hamill, Americans, she was like, oh, well, I'm just going to talk like an American now. So, yeah, okay. So Tarkin turns to blow up Alderaan and she doesn't give up the base. So she gives the name of a planet, but Tarkin gives the order to fire anyway, not knowing that she lied. Now Alderaan goes bye-bye. Later, Jimmy Smith. Bye, Jimmy Smith. You're not. You're 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 out of the you're out of the picture now. So we're on the Millennium Falcon in hyperspace. Obi Wan senses its destruction. Senses Alderaan's destruction. Everyone watches. Then everyone watches Luke train with a giant ball that shoots him with stun bolts or whatever. Uh, the droids are playing some kind of game with the Wookies. We find out that Wookies can tear limbs. Han laughs at Luke as he fails, doubts the Force. Obi-Wan blinds Luke, then he succeeds with the dro- the droid thing. He that, Those were his first steps into a larger world. Where where have we heard that before? <clears throat> where have we heard that before? Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it in two weeks. Um, oh, is it something that's in the trailer? No, it's something that's in Force Awakens. Um, oh, well, I mean, again, yeah, like repeated dialogue. The other thing is this this scene to me is one of one of those really fun scenes. The dialogue is really cool. The characters are very interesting. Uh, the sci-fi is sci-fi. It is uh, it's an adventure. People are meeting each other in an adventure. This is not the prequels at all. This right. is what Star Wars was. Let's go back to the uh, Death Star. Tarkin finds out Leia lied. Orders for her execution. Falcon jumps out of hyperspace into what was Alderaan. Now it's just a pile of now it's just a floating pile of rocks. Um, they can't believe it. Uh, they get caught in the Death Star's tractor beam and they uh, land in the hangar all on accident. So there's a shot of this stormtrooper carrying one of the smaller blaster rifles, like it's a t- like it's like a 15 pound brick. Um, that was weird. They avoid detection by. Uh, <laughs> So they avoid detection in uh, some smuggling compartments in the floor. They end up disguised as stormtroopers. They take over a command console. You can see I'm skimming a lo- over a lot of things. Um, take over command console. Um, up in you know, some kind of bird's well, nest. Well, uh, as, as, we ca- as we get to this point that they're now on... The, like, This is another thing that I find really cool about the movie in terms of how it's like structured. Mm-hmm. Everything before this is kind of slow. E- even the battleship stuff, it's just they're giving you exposition and giving you a villain, and then you land on a desert planet for a long time. 
and you find out a lot of information. You get some character stuff, and it's been a little slow. But once they get on the Death Star, scene after scene after scene is of action, of momentum. Right. Every, there's always something happening. They're always always going somewhere. They're always constantly moving, and it doesn't slow down until they get off. That's the second act of the movie. It's so perfect. It's so good. That's so good. That 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 has inspired so many movies afterwards. Do it that perfectly. Uh, it's great. The entire section of them rescuing Leia and getting and getting to and all the way up to when Obi Wan gets murdered. It's perfect. It's perfect. There's always something happening. Always something movie. They're always in an adventure. There's always a predicament going on. It never slows down. Right. That is an adventure. So yeah, um, it's in through that stuff, but at the same time, it's because it's it's moving along at a very right. fun, adventurous pace. So Obi Wan goes to deactivate the tractor beam on his own. R two discovers that Leia is on the Death Star and is next in line for execution. Luke, Luke, and Han bicker about it, but Luke falsely bribes him with what he says will be riches if she is saved, even though the rebellion doesn't look as uh, plentiful. In uh, money, as the uh, Empire does. So they go and they uh, leave the droids behind on the console. So they take Chewie as a prisoner to the uh, detention block. Then they start. Then they just raise hell. This is where. This is where it all. This is where it all happens. Han tries to void off reinforcements on the radio, which is probably the funniest move. Funniest part of the movie. <laughs> which harkens back to the Family Guy spoof, where he's like. <laughs> Where Peter is Han is like chatting with the guy on the radio. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what? So I've, I've noticed that in in Rogue One too. Like nobody lies well in Star Wars. Nobody. In nobody lies well. The robots like uh, these are my prisoners. Um, t- and he doesn't lie very well. He's not convincing. Han Solo here, not convincing. It, the only one who's kind of no. Everyone is never convincing. Right. <laughs> I, I think that's pretty funny. So then Luke finally but, finds... But Harrison Ford is certainly charming in that moment. Yeah. So Luke finds Leia, who would be his sister, but he doesn't know that yet. They don't know that yet. Then we go to Vader, who knows... Luke just doesn't even know that yet. Yeah. <laughs> Vader uh, goes to Tarkin, tells him that Obi-Wan's here. He, he has to face him on his own. Reinforcements arrive in the uh, prisoner bay. So heroes. So now the heroes are trapped, and the droids are now in trouble, because now they're the dro- the droids are right outside the the, the bleh, stormtroopers are right outside the door. Leia, so Leia then takes charge, because that's something she does. She just takes charge, blows a hole in the garbage chute, tells everybody get in, takes charge of the whole thing. Oh yeah, great, progressive, she's a captivating, interesting character. Yeah, she's very progressive. Um, let's see here. Oh yeah, so they so they all fall into the garbage compactor one by one. Luke almost dro- Luke's almost drowned by um, a skinnier and um, scrawnier uh, Borg gullet. It looks like, but with, only with one eye this time. Um, <laughs> so the walls begin to so then the walls begin to close because because you see they're in a garbage compactor, probably the same one Phasma was in. But we'll get to that in two weeks. Um, not the not the same one. I you gotta imagine they're similar. No, I mean like I thought you meant like it's the same ship, same exact compactor. No, that's not what no. I mean. No, probably the same. Yeah, no. kind of thing. But a trash compactor in a futuristic ship. Yeah. Yes. 
Um, Luke calls the droids to shut down the all the compactors because they, they don't know which one they're in yet because they're dealing with the freaking compactor closing. But they're dealing with yeah, but, they're, uh, not, they're hands are So the but the droids are too busy dealing with the men in white. Um, eventually they answer and they shut it down after a long intense spot. It was great. John Williams' score is was perfect for this scene. We haven't really talked about that. John Williams is great, isn't he great? I love him. Um, well, I, I said on the last one when we were talking about Rogue One is as good as Rogue One is. Like nothing is more memorable than the moments in this movie musically. Like when he when he's looking at the sunset, just the do 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 do. Like it's great. It's super good. All right. I so... don't care how much John Williams doesn't like it anymore. It's still very fun for me to listen to. So after that, they begin to laugh in the compactor. 3PO thinks they're suffering. That was funny. So they eventually get out. Leia and Han and Odds are ready, so they'll have a kid later. Not in the movie, but in timeline-wise. <sighs> so Obi-Wan turns off the tractor beam. Cool. So now they're basically looking at the Millennium Falcon from a distance, but then Stormtroopers arrive, but then Han starts chasing them. Then he so he charges at this stormtrooper squad who's running away from one guy. There's like five of them and one of him. But then he rounds the corner and then this. But in the VHS version, the same five guys are there plus two. In the version you probably watched, there was like a whole hangar full of stormtroopers, which makes a whole lot more sense. So if there's one change, so if there's one change they made that made sense, that was it. Yeah, they probably they didn't have the money for the those kind of extras back then. Right. All right. So um, let's see. So yeah, then Luke and Leia run into a um, an unextended bridge, and so they're pinned down. They're taking fire. They fire back. Luke pulls randomly pulls a out out of his utility belt because he has that. No wait, that was from a stormtrooper belt. Okay, never mind. Yeah. So he pulls out a small grappling hook. They're about to swing. Leia kisses him. It's still awkward in context. Um, right before they swing and they move along. You guys gotta be to see like that. I I understand that that is awkward and weird, but like the fact that people keep focusing in on it is so funny. To I me. know right? they didn't know. They, didn't they just know. didn't know. That, Nobody that, that knew. Nobody. Not people, even the guy who did the twist. Married before, then took blood tests, and then found out that they were actually brother and sister. That's <laughs> happened before. Yeah. So Obi-Wan and Vader finally meet. They clash sabers as old men. They don't flip around. They don't talk as much. It's alright. Because in the prequels, you see, the older you get, the more acrobatic you are. Um... Uh, well... It's true! The more the more CGI you get. Yeah. So, uh... Heroes run for the Good Falcon. talking. So our heroes run for the Falcon. Luke pauses to watch Obi-Wan vanish as he gets cut down. He yells no. They get attention. They, they start a gunfight. Then they escape from the hangar and on the Falcon. Great. So. <laughs> you sound excited. No, that, that's my point. Like, building up to that, it's such a great second act. It, it, never it was a great, that was a great second act. With a, with a, uh, with a pretty good twist. Like, oh, Obi-Wan dies. Yeah. Oh, it's on now. <laughs> I, I, I like it because you always... Knowing movies now, you always assume he's going to die. But even knowing right. movies now, you never think it's going to be in that moment because 
it never gives you a moment to breathe. Mm-hmm. So uh, on the Falcon, as they're escaping, um, Luke mourns Obi-Wan for a bit before Han pulls him into a turret. He's like, hey, we're not out of this yet. So we got, they got to start shooting ties for a bit. So they shoot at ties for a hot scene. This was a lesson in editing action. I'm sorry. This scene right here. Did you, did you just say they were shooting ties for a hot scene? Yeah, for a hot minute. But I said hot scene. <laughs> yes. It was just weird. <laughs> I know. I am weird. Um, I just imagined for five seconds that I was doing a Star Wars uh, podcast with a valley girl. <laughs> <laughs> okay all right um okay so yeah so they're shooting at ties for a hot minute um for a very very hot scene um <laughs> <laughs> so um Do go on. so yeah i think that like when i was looking at this i'm like this is how you edit action if you're gonna do a bunch of cuts this is how you do it that's how i watch this scene just me then. Let's see. So, so they kill. So they kill them all. Three PO somehow gets tangled in a, bu- in a bunch of wires. Don't know how it happened, but it happens. So Tarkin. So go back to the Death Star. Him, Tarkin, and Vader talk about how they, uh, they are. They put a tracking thing on the Falcon. But Leia knows they're being tracked, of course. So there you go. Her and Han argue for a bit about morality. Luke doesn't. Luke doesn't see them having a relationship, because Han asks, "What do you think? What do you think? You think a princess and a guy like me?" Luke says, "Nope." Like immediately, it's just like, "Oh, you didn't. You oh, you didn't know." Well, they, they yeah, that's the. Again, Lucas didn't really know what he was gonna do. He's like, "Oh, this so is a success. I better make weird. something of this." It's just this weird, playful triangle they have going on. And the thing is, maybe it could be conflict oh. later. By the way, I forgot to mention this. So on the VHS version that I watched, there are these interviews with George Lucas and Leonard Maltin, of course. Um, where like, But George like mentioned where like the first draft for Star Wars was like the entire original trilogy in one script. But he's like, okay, this is too much. And I, can't, I can't make it one movie out of all of this. So he took the first act and that was New Hope. That's what he said. That's what he said. Not going to validate his statement. That. Not going to validate that. I don't believe that. Because hmm. it's too much like The Hidden Fortress. Hmm. He wanted to make one of his favorite movies as a sci-fi movie. That's all it was. Yeah, I thought it was weird too. So they have, now they arrive on the oven for um, Rebel Base. Rebels now have the plans. The Rogue One crew did not die for nothing. As of now. As of now. As of now. So now the Death- so then the Death Star is closing on Yavin. The Rebels are briefing. They're in a briefing. Hero briefing before the battle. They must fly with small fighters and exploit Galen Erso's sabotage, the small thermal exhaust port. Right below the main port. I know exactly where it is. Alright. So the Rebel Hangar, Luke convict. Luke uh, convicts Han about leaving. He's just like, he's very bitter about it. So Leia kisses Luke again for the second time. I'm keeping track. That's two. Um, let's see here. Again, he didn't know. They didn't know. I, I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. It's the fact that like, I, 
Something's wrong with your mic, buddy. Did you like blank? Okay, there you go. Did you like cover your mic with a blanket? What are you doing over there? I'm trying to like get my phone in the right position. I see. Weird. Okay, as you were saying. Uh, I, I, yes, it's weird that yes, it's weird that he decided to make them brother and sister afterwards, but at the same time, I, I think it works. They have a connection. They don't know what it is. And then when he finds out, it makes sense, especially by the time he's trying to train to be a Jedi, he was never going to be with anyone anyway. Right. He, that if the route was for him to be a Jedi by Empire, then he was never going to be with anyone. He was always going to be alone. He was going to follow the old Jedi ways, which, as we find out in the new movies, is his downfall. Because the old Jedi ways are pretty bad, and people shouldn't follow them. They should yeah. follow different ways of the Force. Find your soulmate, everyone. Um. Yeah. Connections are not bad. Right. So yeah, they're in the Rebel hangar. Luke convicts Han about leaving. Luke kisses Luke again. So Rebel fight. So then now we get a whole montage of like setting up the whole. They're all like it's building up, like crazy now, and now the Rebel fighters take off now for the Death Star on a suicide run. So now the Battle of Yavin begins. We are now here. Battle of Yavin begins. Lots of action. Porkins dies first, of course. Get rid of the fat guy. Um, so yeah, they're flying around hmm. for a bit. They uh, they can't they avoid they they're evading the turbo lasers. So then they send ties to throw a wrench into everything. Luke saves Biggs from a tie, um, and then Wedge saves Luke from a tie after a long thing. So now the Y so now the Y wings Y wing ships. Okay, hang on a second. I. Love the design of everything. Ralph McQuarrie is was awesome. If the X Wing, if like the ships and designs were his idea, he's awesome. Does I love how I love the creativity behind everything, how everything looks. Just like this, this you like, ah gosh, I love how everything's designed. It's so cool. Yeah, a big. A real those behind the scenes movies now are really cool. How they how they got like the trench shootouts. How they right. filmed the models. That's amazing how they did the how they did the Death Star run. They took they took his like his like it took his Buick. They set up a whole plane and then they just drove by as the things were happening. It's great. I love stuff like that. That is awesome. Yeah, if people haven't if people haven't seen those behind the scenes movies, they need to check them out. Yeah. By the way, did you hear that James Gunn released the script to Guardians of the Galaxy 2? Like he published it? Yeah, he published it for free. It's on if you check his Twitter, it's uh it's free. That's pretty cool. It'll be the I first I love reading I love reading script. Actually, it'll be the first screenplay that I've ever read fully. So, really? Yeah. It's a new experience uh, I would for me. Suggest searching out a lot more yes. because it's it's really interesting. I think I'm going to do the Matrix next. Like a Quentin Tarantino writer or a Charlie Kaufman writer versus um, someone who's way more visual and focused on what they're trying to tell or streamlined. Some people really put the mood of their film in their writing. And some people are very much like, here's the shot, here's how it looks, this person talks. And when you think about it, 
the way that they write it, you can absolutely see it in your head. Oh, yeah. So the White Wings begin their bombing run. Uh, Vader comes in with his fighter, and he shoots them all down. Um, they didn't even get a shot off. Didn't even make it to the end of the trench. It was sad. Um, so, Red, yeah, we got the stay on target. Stay on target. We're too close. Stay on target. Great. Um, Not a suspense. Yeah. This was a, like, I can't Im- Like, my dad says, because, like, my dad's, like, 54, and he saw Star Wars in the theater. He's one of the, he was one of the fortunate ones. Um, that it was just, like, the crowd just oohed and awed the whole time. And I can't imagine what they were feeling seeing the, seeing this level of visual effects and practical effects at work on display in such a way. I can't imagine what that feeling was like. Must have been amazing. Absolutely stellar. Well, I I feel kind of bad because I don't really know if people do that anymore. Yeah, there's a movie out right now called uh, Loving Vincent. It's a it's an entire movie made of paintings. Every frame is a painting. It took four years to make because every frame was an actual painting, all in Van Gogh's style. And yeah, the story is really simple, but at the same time, it's super impressive. It's it's breathtaking to see this. The time and effort to put this story together, this moving painting together, it, it's, it, I was awestruck. I was like, there was one or two moments where I was like, how did they do that? I almost said it out loud. And <laughs> it, it, they, they had it at our theater and not very many people were going. Once they narrowed it down to like one showing, more people were going and they could fill it a little bit easier. But when it was a few showings a day, there weren't a lot of people going in. I was so shocked. I'm like, this is it's so good. And then everyone who sees it is like, the story's really simple. And I'm like, yeah, it's because they have to paint it. Right. It, it's techni- it technologically. It's great on an artistic level. It's amazing as a story. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's really simple. And I didn't really expect to get a good story. I expected I expected to see a moving painting on screen and that's exactly what I got. And it was gorgeous. I don't know if people are getting awestruck by that stuff anymore. No, they're not. Um, so it's the Red Leader's turn. Um, he managed. He manages to make it to the end. Stupid computer. He manages to make it to it the end. Um, but he uh, he manages to get the shot off, but he missed, and it actually impacted on the surface. That's a key line that I missed. Out of all the years I've seen this movie, I missed that line. It impacted on the surface, indicating that either a he missed entirely, he didn't even like make the shot. Or was anywhere near the port. Or B, he actually did make the port, but the torpedoes didn't go in on their own. And if it's B, Luke was... That puts over Luke. And that's... I, I love it. Ooh, man. Ooh, well, man. He... Structure. Yeah. No. Yeah, fair point. So. So, yeah, he managed to get a shot, but the torpedoes don't go in. Vader kills them, too. So, now it's down to Luke, Wedge, and Biggs. Um... Vader's close behind, forces Wedge to bail, shoots him for a bit. I like how the moment Wedge is hit, Luke tells him, okay, get out of here. But then Biggs gets <laughs> then Biggs gets blown up. Yeah, That's priority. Priorities. Priorities. Even though Biggs was closer friends with Luke than Wedge. No, no, no. no. Luke knows what he's doing. Priorities. Yeah, priorities. 
So Luke uses the is using the target computer at first, but Kenobi in the back of his head says like, "No, use the Force." Like, go, Luke. He turns off the target computer. He says he's fine. Um, R two then gets shot by Vader. That's not a coincidence. You can't convince me that's not a coincidence. Um, R two gets shot by Vader. Yeah, Va- like, yeah. Why is that a Why is that not a coincidence? Well, I mean, whenever I think about it, it's like, there's no way he didn't shoot him on purpose. There's no way he didn't shoot. He did not. There's no way he did not shoot him on purpose or on, on accident. Like he, like he knew it was R two and he yeah. shot him. Yeah. How does How would he know? He's Vader. Because he's because the Force. Because he yeah. could Force tell. I mean, I think he got how, how many? There's probably a lot of droids that look like R two, and he. I don't think he even knew that. Luke there's only one R two, mate. Dude, but like. How does he really? Uh, my guess is there may be one R two made, but I'm sure that there's like look at the R five from the beginning of the movie. Wasn't that different from it? If it was the same color scheme, it'd be pretty pretty close. And at the same time, he didn't even know Luke Skywalker was flying that plane. How would he immediately know that that was R two? Agree to disagree. Um. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, Death Star now is a clean shot of Yavin. It's crunch time. Vader almost finishes Luke, but Han and Chewie come in for the save with the Falcon. Luke torpedo. <laughs> Luke's torpedoes make it in. The Death Star explodes. Galen Erso's revenge complete, and the Rebels win. Hooray! So we got the celebration. Mark Hamill claims he did not call Carrie Fisher Carrie in that scene. Um, he's very insulted by anybody who claims that he said it. I would. I wasn't paying. I'd have to go back and rewatch it a few times. Um, so then we got the metal. Sir, does who cares? It's a movie, guys. Come on, I don't yeah. know why he would take that so personally. If he screwed <laughs> up on it. Who cares? Even then, it's, it's the editor's fault for picking a, a a scene where he did that. It's professional pride, apparently. I guess Mark <laughs> Hamill let it go. <laughs> oh my gosh, was Dad watching Rogue One in the living room? He was. All right. Um, so then we got the metal ceremony. Chewie doesn't get a medal. Um, R2 is completely fine. He's all shiny and new. And that was the end. You know, well, yeah. That's Chewie doesn't get a medal. How racist. Yeah. Like, Chewie not getting a, a medal does kind of weird me out. Um, but that's one of those things that I think is a proper nitpick. Because Chewie, yeah. Chewie deserved a medal. <laughs> So yeah, I gave it an A minus. I lo- like. Uh, I I give it I give it an A, man. That's a solid A movie. Solid. Okay. Not only did it inspire a lot of movies, and yeah, sure, it borrowed the same plot and a lot of the same like visual fun ticks as Hidden Fortress, but at the same time, it's 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 a perfect movie. It's a perfect movie. Yeah. It's just it's like I I always like. I'm so glad we're now out of the territory of the prequels. Now I can enjoy an actual story with plot and momentum and practical and, yeah, effects. That's great. And and like break it down and be like, wow, this is how storytelling should go. Right. As someone who probably just came out of film school. <laughs> that, I'm still in. I'm still in. Um, no, my, my point is, is that when Lucas made this, he was all, he was pretty fresh out of film school. And when he made the prequels, he was pretty fresh out of not making movies and being told he's, you know, 
the savior of movies. Right. So yeah, that was didn't episode. Help. Go ahead. Well, as I said, just didn't help him. So yeah, that was episode. Uh, that was episode four, A New Hope. I re- I I loved it. I like. I wouldn't put it up there. I wouldn't. I, oh boy, I don't know where I'd put this movie. I really like this movie because it's in Star like, Wars. In like the realm of Star Wars movies or your favorite movies? Both. <laughs> you love Star Wars so much. I don't understand why. Is, I I mean, a Star Wars movies would have to be in your favorite lists you love it so damn much and you love movies so i would assume some of them if not one of them would have to be in there but why i think it's an interesting argument when people say which one is a better film empire or this this is the better movie like this is it this is a better movie empire is a lot of people's favorites and it's the better it's like one of the best sequels ever made and it is a solid movie but it is it helps that it's built on a movie you've already seen and I also think that the structure for the first one is perfect. I, I, this, there is no real plot to Empire, which is because the characters are great and you don't care. Right. But in in this one, the structure is so tight. It works so perfectly. I think as a movie, this is the better one. But constantly I'm arguing with myself which one I think is my favorite. Because the effect of the second one is so powerful. Right, so like, I okay in terms of my, one of my favorite films, like I really don't. It's like, it's up there, but like like I like we talked about before, like I really don't have a favorite film. If I had to pick one, if I had a gun you to my have, head, you have favorites though. Yes, right? I have when favorites. People ask me what's my favorite. I I happily know that right now. But it could change a few years from now, and I'm always right. willing to do that. So I'd like to give people like a, a five or a ten list. Right. So yeah, this is this up. Has, one of the this or one of these films would have to be on that list. Right. This is up there. This was up there. I really, I really love this movie's dear to my heart. So that was episode four, everybody. So uh, turn wow, to I other- didn't expect to end this podcast with you ne- not fully committing to Star Wars being one of your favorite movies. <laughs> listen, listen, I really love. I don't know what to say. There's it's so not many that good movies. Question, man. It's like it's not a big deal. It's you, like it, I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. <laughs> I think it describes who they are a lot, but I, it ebbs and flows with your life. The, my favorite movies were, five years ago weren't my favorite movies now, but some of them are. Some of them have stuck. I really did like this movie. That's all I'll say. I, I, I really love this movie. I just think with how much you love Star Wars, uh, I I would think that either this one or the second one would be in your top five favorite movies. I'm surprised that you don't have top favorite movies. No, we talked about it one time when we did a closing shift. Like it was you, me, and Zach. We just talked about our top five favorite movies. Yeah, but, but that's that's the thing. Yeah, you didn't have a, a very large list then, yeah. No. But that was, that's the other thing. Like, when I ask the question, a lot of people don't know. That's why I like the broad base of 5 or 10, because it gives people time to think about what they like now and what right. they have liked through the years. But it's knowing you, since I've known you, you've always been almost everything that you, we talk about movies is almost funneled through Star Wars, if not the fact that every time Star Wars info comes out, you are very, very I just excited. Like, I just love Star Wars in general. 
films were some of your favorite, but now I'm starting to realize it's not just the films. There's other aspects of Star Wars and other mediums that you right. probably get excited about. Right. I think that's it. So yeah, um, it's, a, it's not just movies. like you're helping me realize that they're not just movies. Right. When I watch it. Oh yeah. By the way, uh, fun little tidbit in canon, TK421, the original guy. He's uh he is uh yeah yeah he's gay. The original TK421, the stormtrooper that gets that's like remember TK421. Why aren't you at your post? TK421, do you copy? Right, is they're disguising so, as stormtroopers. So, so th- in canon, in canon, he was gay. In canon, he is gay. Yeah. So you know why they did that? I guess so. <laughs> no, no, well, I mean, Harrison Ford's voice is kind of effeminate when he. <laughs> Like, hey guys, you know we're up here. We're fine. We're great. I we're we're good. Bye. Also, like one thing. I think that's a joke. One thing that I missed. Another thing that I missed. When they're taking Chewie to the prisoner, to the prisoner block, Luke, right before they get into the elevator, Luke says, "I can't see a thing in this helmet." That explains a lot. <laughs> yeah, the, tele- the, telephone in- the telephone inside the mask screen was off. <laughs> so yeah that was episode four stay tuned for uh our review of episode five the empire strikes back uh till then we will see you we will actually talk to you guys later alex say bye bye